and welcome to Story Untold. I'm Martin Bauman, and today I'm talking one of my favorite things in basketball. Cat Jamie is an award-winning filmmaker from Vancouver. Her latest film is called Finding Big Country, and it answers the question, whatever happened to Bryant Reeves? If you grew up a fan of basketball in the 90s, and especially if you grew up a fan of the Vancouver Grizzlies, you'll remember Big Country as this larger-than-life, flat-topped franchise player Uh, But when the team packed up and left for Memphis in 2001, Big Country disappeared. It became something of a mystery in Vancouver. Whatever happened to this guy, this player that embodied what it was to be a Vancouver Grizzly, a player who at different times was both a fan favorite and an absolute pariah. 17 years after the Grizzlies last played in Vancouver, Jamie went to go find him. Here's her story. to give an idea of kind of the the level of Grizzlies fandom that you have. Um, How many items of of Grizzlies merchandise do you own? There's a great shot in the documentary. You're opening up your closet and things are just pouring out. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Oh man, too many? I don't, I've never, (laughs) I've never actually counted. I mean, I know that in high school, my, one of my friends is in my bedroom and uh, she was counting how many ba- like basketball related things were in my room and that count was over 100. So how many of those things were Grizzlies? I'm not 100% sure, but, right. uh, but yeah, there's too many. <laughs> uh, tell me about your relationship with the team. How did it, how did it start? How did you become a, a Vancouver Grizzlies fan? The Grizzlies were in town in 95 and I was seven years old. Mm-hmm. And uh, I first started going to games. Um, I mean, I loved I, started playing basketball when I was five because of my older brother mm-hmm. and I wanted to be exactly like him. So when he got into basketball, I got into basketball and it just, it was something that the sport and, and uh, just came naturally to me. So then I, I love basketball. Then the Grizzlies came to town. And so I started going to games with my dad and my grand grandfather. There's this, and there's another, um, I guess shot in the, in the film where I'm just like flipping through games and there's, I have, there's pages of tickets. So mm-hmm. we, I went to, a bunch of games as a kid. Um, and I'd say like they were this, my gateway into dreaming to being the first girl to play in the, the NBA. Yeah. Back then, um, the WNBA was still like super new and, and there was, they didn't televise games of, of the WNBA. So the NBA is really the only thing that I knew at, at that young of an age. Sure. And, and I mean, you, you're watching these games and you want to go up against the people that you're watching on, on TV, I would imagine. Mm-hmm, for sure. How many games of uh, during a season are we talking that you're going to? Is it like one, multiple? How often are you? Are you multiple. I mean, it was it was. I would say it was considered like a family outing, even if it was a school night. So, yeah. a handful of games for sure. I don't know the exact number, but there yeah. was a bunch, a bunch of games. So I was I was very young as well when uh, well both Raptors and Grizzlies came to Canada. Uh, for me, I was three when when they played their first season. Uh, but the excitement I remember was always there uh, for me being a Raptors fan and even curiosity about the Grizzlies on the other side of the country. What was it about the Grizzlies that that grabbed you? I mean, they were the the home team, so that was the team that uh, I mean I knew that they were ours. I knew that we, I wanted them to win. And, um, I guess kind of by default, they're your favorite cause it's, it's your home team. You always right. love your home team. Yeah. And, and it was just so exciting to have, uh, the, the NBA in Vancouver. Why was big country your favorite player? 
he was the biggest guy on the court. I knew he was our franchise player. And he, as a kid, I mean, I was seven years old, he had the coolest nickname. And as a kid, you don't forget that. <laughs> so you're watching him. I mean, because he's not exactly franchise player, yes, but he's not exactly the flashiest player. He's not mm-hmm. exactly the one who's, you know, at all-star games or selling jerseys, I suppose. Doesn't have necessarily a signature sneaker. But, but there was something about him that appealed to you all the same. For sure. I mean, again, like... I was seven, so you don't. There's sometimes no real rhyme or reason, but uh, right. I knew that uh, that he was. And back then, like he he put up good numbers, so I, f- I I feel like from what I can remember, I thought he was just the best. And uh, again, like biggest guy on the court with the crew, like the, his crew haircut and big <laughs> yeah. country nickname. Like, yeah, it was pretty cool as a seven year old to to have someone like that in your own backyard. You had his jersey, I'm I'm sure, at that time then as well? No, as a kid, I didn't care for clothes. I only wanted the toys. So I yeah. had, that's <laughs> why I guess in my room, there's so much um, like dolls and so many basketballs. So yeah, it's only in my like, a, I guess, more adult life that I have been able to purchase and find vintage Grizzlies gear. But that's all my Grizzlies clothes are actually from when I was a lot older because I, I as a kid I, I didn't like who wants clothes when you're a kid right <laughs> right yeah so uh, the Grizzlies are in town and and you know six seasons over the course of those seasons the team starts to falter maybe starts is the wrong word it just doesn't quite get off the ground in terms of mm-hmm. putting a, a team that can that can compete um, and and so they end up moving to Memphis and there's a great image in your documentary of a fan in one of those later seasons, holding up a sign that says, I no longer love this game. (laughs) Mm -hmm. What happened to the team and what happened to Big Country? So the team, all I knew that, well, we didn't really know, and that's actually the next documentary I'm working on is the feature-length documentary about the Vancouver Grizzlies. Mm -hmm. Uh, The team moved to Memphis and sort of, I mean, it was as if they left overnight. Kind of didn't really know why they left. There were a lot of rumors as to as to what happened, but really there was no, there's a lot of like finger pointing, I think a lot of fans would say. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so they moved to Memphis um, and sort of when they left, they really left. Like there are no more remnants of the Grizzlies in Vancouver, as the film states. Mm-hmm. And then with Bryant, he kind of just disappeared. Like no one, I mean, in 2017, he was inducted into the Hall of Fame. And so now there are actually more articles. But in 2015, which is when I really started to get into this project, mm-hmm. he, there there was no trace of him at all. And this is, this is the so, BC Sports yeah. Hall of Fame you're speaking about? No, sorry, sorry. The Oklahoma Sports Hall of Fame. Oh, okay, so in 2017, yeah. he was inducted into there. So now yeah. if you like Google Big Country, he has one other interview with, with Barry Trammell, who's in my film, an yeah. OKC sports reporter. But uh, other than that, there's nothing that you can really find about him. And, you know, he was considered, after speaking to so many reporters here in Vancouver, he was considered sort of like the holy grail of interviews people to talk to here in Vancouver because yeah. he just yeah no one had seen or heard of him since the Grizzlies left town so your favorite team picks up and leaves kind of overnight and your favorite player disappears from the court as well how do, how do you take that as a fan of the team seeing them disappear as they did and, and then sort of as if there's no real trace that they were even there uh, as, as you show in the documentary of looking for merchandise or yeah or yeah science I mean yeah. It's interesting because it's like, so on the surface, it doesn't seem like Vancouver remembers them. But it's only when you start talking to people on the street that people, that everyone, if you grew up in Vancouver in the 90s, um, you have a, you have at least one vivid 
memory and it's usually a childhood memory of the Grizzlies and they played mm-hmm. a huge role in so many kids' lives, like not just myself, but uh, also because like back in the day, uh, the Canucks uh, were obviously, we, we also the Vancouver Canucks mm-hmm. and going to a Canucks game was actually quite expensive and so a lot of families could afford going to Grizzlies games and Grizzlies games are way more fun anyways. The entertainment level at these games was ridiculous. Mm-hmm. I think it was definitely I, I know I'm not the only one a lot of kids and a lot of fans were heartbroken when the team left and it's still like a sore spot for a lot of uh, fans who are you know grown adults now and, and um, I think we were all heartbroken yeah. when the team left and confused as well because we didn't understand why they left or what happened this is jumping in time a little bit now but when did you start to think I've got a story here I mean, I knew I had a story when I knew that no one had found Big Country mm-hmm. and gone to interview with him because I was like, okay, this is this is perfect. This is the angle. And also, it's sort of the perfect story. The more research I did, the more I got excited because I was like, look, he's he's a, he is he was kind of the scapegoat at at one point. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we're we, we're changing that narrative now. But he has an incredible story that doesn't seem to be the thing that everyone talks about. It's the fact that you know. We paid him seventy million dollars and blah 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 blah. And but you know there was a reason why he got that contract. And right. you know so the more I looked into it, the more I was like, okay, like this is actually a story that everyone needs to hear. Let's talk about your background in filmmaking for a bit. You come from a, a filmmaking family. I uh, do. Yes. Tell yeah. me about that. My grandfather, um, his family, all come from the part of the movie industry in the Philippines. Mm-hmm. So my grandfather was the youngest director at one point. Um, his siblings are both producers. His eldest brother has worked with Roger Corman, uh, you know, a very well-known U.S. producer in the States. And my great-grandfather, you know, he actually started Premier Productions, which was in the, I think it was the 50s, was one of the four major production houses in the Philippines. And, and they specialized in actually w- war films. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so I, I guess my grandfather growing up would always, he documented not just my life, but, you know, my cousins' lives, like all of us had a camera pointed in our in our face uh, <laughs> growing up and so I think I just um I document everything and I think that has yeah. to do with him and I'm that friend in high school that everyone got so annoyed with because I was documenting everything and it would always be like you know do that again and and um uh one more time for the camera and everyone I could make like an, an hour reel of friends telling me to turn off the camera yeah um, at first they didn't <laughs> mind it but after you know after a decade of the same thing they they uh, they get kind of tired of it. So now this is partially where your your passion for filmmaking goes in tandem with uh, your love for basketball. How did you decide to get into documentary filmmaking and really take it seriously? Yeah, I think it's just it was just a natural extent. Like it it just comes so naturally to me. So yeah, it's just I do, I document everything and and so it's not something that I thought of one day it's just a natural just I, I think it's just as natural as basketball like I was good at basketball and it yeah I mean if you watch footage of me when I was a kid playing even I'm blown away by like man like my followers like no like who taught me that that just was just so <laughs> innately a part of my skill set was just yeah and, and I know that's kind of funny to say but um the same thing I guess with filmmaking like I always just documented everything and so that lends to you know all those traits lends to what a documentary filmmaker does uh as a job so I think just two things that really just came naturally to me was was just basketball and then also just documenting things 
so you've got this idea for a film, this this big huge presence, the star of the team basically vanishes and and is you know rarely heard from again, if at all. How do you go about finding Brian Reeves? Um, so yeah, so as I mentioned, like in um, 2015, which is when I really started to hit the ground running, there was nothing on Reeves on the internet. There, like the only the only articles I found were things that ended with. No one like we tried to reach Reeves, but to no avail, and and things like that. So I had to dig really, really, really deep, and that's when I stumbled upon this one article written by an OKC reporter named Barry Trammell. And I reached out to him like through email, and was just like, I have no idea if this is your right email address, or but you know, my name is Cat, and I told him what I wanted to do, and he told me to call him, and and then he gave me three phone numbers to call mm-hmm. people who might know Reeves called all three of them. One person got back to me, Jordan Woodruff. Um, and then Jordan just gave me a list of people to call. So I just started calling everyone. And uh, a word got around finally that, hey, Brian, there's this girl from Vancouver <laughs> who, who's calling everyone and right. uh, she wants to make a film about you. We think you should do it. And, you know, so and then when I spoke to Brian, he, he, he told me, you know, like you have you have my friends to thank because they're the ones who really vouched for you. Yeah, I mean, so so you you get a pretty good word of where he is in Gans, Oklahoma, but there's no guarantees of meeting him. You're you're calling all these people, mm-hmm. and and you know this is a guy who's famously kind of avoided the spotlight. Mm-hmm. How do you plan to at this time? How do you plan to be the one who's going to get him to trust you or get his friends to trust you? I think the fact that I led with my heart, and I you know sounds cheesy, but it's true, and it wasn't like. Hey, I'm my name is Cat, and I'm working for this production company, and I want to, you know, make a film about you. It was, mm-hmm. it was, hey, my name is Cat. I flew all the way down here on my own dime, and I'm a childhood fan. You inspired me. You and the team inspired me to be the first girl to play in the NBA. That didn't happen. I became a filmmaker, and now it's my dream to tell your story. Can you help me? And thankfully, everyone, said, including Bryant, said yes to that hmm. ask. So you fly down to Gans, Oklahoma, uh, yeah. s- small place. What does the town look like um it's a lovely lovely town like everyone was just so welcoming and uh accommodating and generous but you literally like from the articles i've i've read like it's a town where you can there's no stoplight you mm-hmm. can literally drive through it in like 30 seconds yeah yeah quite a difference from the the busy streets of vancouver yes yeah <laughs> so you're you're here you're, you're going into gans and you're able to speak to Bryant Reeves and it can be tough to meet your heroes because, yeah. and you mentioned this in the film, there's so much anticipation and expectation built into whatever's going to happen. And, you know, he didn't ask to be your favorite yeah, player. He didn't ask to be sure. put, put into that spotlight. Tell me about your mind state driving over to his place to meet him for the first time. He knew I was coming, but I was still super duper nervous because um, I've never been to his, you know, I had never been there before. I'd never been this close to an NBA person. I even say that in the film, and it's true. And Mm -hmm. I was super duper nervous. But at the same time, every interview that I had on the phone in person, I would always, one of the questions I would ask was, I'm super nervous to meet Bryant. Do you have any advice? Or like, do you know, you know, what, how should I feel? Or, you know, how should I act? And do you have any advice for me? Because I'm really nervous, blah, blah, blah. And everyone would say, he is such a, kind guy and you'll be blown away by how like down to earth and humble he is and you have nothing to worry about cat so that's what everyone told me yeah. um so i was 
I was more nervous, not scared of, of you know, will he be mean or whatnot? Because everyone was just saying that he's just the nicest guy ever. So thankfully, I had that that tip. But I was still extremely, extremely nervous. Like even the scene walking to his house, which got cut because we chose to reveal it in a more cinematic way. But it's a pretty, it's a pretty funny sequence. And even when I watch it now, like I get pretty anxious for myself because you can tell that I'm so nervous. Like parking the car, his car in his like in his. Um, driveway and it's like oh my god like am I gonna you know am I gonna because I think I had to pull up in, beside his car and I was like don't <laughs> scratch his car like oh my gosh like this is Brian Reese's car like don't scratch it don't mess up right. so um yeah so there's a lot of things going in your head when <laughs> or my head when I was uh entering and driving up to his property or his house so he lets you into his house and and he shows you around kind of his room where he's got all of his his sports memorabilia and there's jerseys on the walls and there's, you know, his shoes behind a cabinet. And uh, you asked to try on his shoes. And, yeah. uh, uh, and you know, for a sports fan, I mean, that's, you know, that's that's like the putting on Jordan's jersey kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. How did how did they fit uh, as you put his shoes on? Oh, yeah, they're huge. I don't even know what size <laughs> they were. They were just ginormous. Yeah, super duper big. Uh, and just the moment in general of being able to see him in his home and in all of these different uh, memorabilia from from your childhood too. I still get shivers when I watch that scene because um, it's so it's just so ridiculous that that happened. And I love the line where he's like, you know, I, you can you can take it out. I don't think there's anything off limits. And that just I don't know. I that's every that's everyone every kid's dream is to right. like what like you're hanging out with your childhood hero and you're in his like in his um a room full of memorabilia of him and he's telling you that it's okay to like look around and right. and look through things like right. i mean i always say that i don't think any other nba player would have you know like actually like opened up his house to my, me and my crew and and trusted me to um film whatever we wanted although i i mean i was I tried to be as respectful as possible and ask Brian before we shot like any photos or if he yeah. found an album or, or whatnot, I would go upstairs and he'd be on his lazy, uh, like watching TV. And I'd ask him like, Hey, is this okay if we, we film this? And he not once did he say no. So that was really cool. How long did you end up staying at, at his ranch for? We, I mean, we had an Airbnb, but we were there for five days. Mm-hmm. So he's showing you around his place. Uh, I mean, what was it like to see where he is now compared to, uh, I mean, how you knew him growing up, uh, yeah. being this, this imposing basketball player, to, you know, touring you around on his cattle ranch? Yeah. I mean, it was pretty cool. It was pretty, I mean, it was, I just, I love his story. I love that how he found something that uh, makes him just as happy. And it was, it was really cool because I, I felt like it also kind of mirrored my story as well in the sense that, Ranching wasn't something he just got into after basketball. Like it was something that he was always passionate about, mm -hmm. and I could say that about myself and film. And and film was always something that was that I also loved in conjunction with basketball. So it was really cool to see how he also had. It wasn't just basketball. He had other passions and, and other things that he loved, and it was nice to see him happy with those other things. When you know, I mean, Brendan Manzer is another subject interview in the film and he says it perfectly like it you know it has to end at some point it ended for michael jordan like it, it ends for every athlete no matter how good you yeah. are so it was really cool to see brian in his new element what was it like um or, or what did you learn rather about him 
that surprised you? One of my favorite things that I've learned about Bryant was that um, how much he loved Vancouver hmm. and uh, how he didn't ask for a trade. And, and the fact that, he, yeah, he's just so proud to be a Vancouver Grizzly. And I, I, I really, I loved that. I loved learning that about him. And it wasn't, you know, that he actually really loved the city and was proud to be here and is still proud to be to have played yeah. for us yeah. um, and uh, never asked for a trade because back then there were so many players who did not want to play for us who right. didn't want anything to do with Vancouver so it was really cool to see to find out that he wanted to be here he liked it here and um, and he's still so proud to be a Vancouver Grizzlies yeah yeah I mean, kind of the polar opposite story of a guy like Steve Francis who yeah. Vancouver <laughs> drafts and, and it says, no, Refused I'm not to, going yeah. there. Yeah. Uh, so during the promotion of this film, you, you print out these missing posters, you know, yeah. uh, missing Bryant Reeves or missing Big Country and, and put up a few of them. And then how does that spread the way that it did? It was, I mean, it was kind of an accident. I don't, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the story yet, but it was, um, our plan was to always make these posters, but have information about the film. So, you know, when are we premiering? What's the screening date? What's our website? All that stuff. But we were doing a photo shoot for the poster of one of the first posters of the film, which was me with my Dreeves jersey looking at a bunch of missing posters. And then on these posters that we had for the photo shoot, Finding Big Country couldn't be on poster because we needed it in the t- in in the actual poster of me like do you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. so there was no information on these posters for the photo shoot so we were going we were about to take it down and my producer was like hey i think it'd be kind of cool if we left this up here um, what do you think and i was like yeah okay sure but there, there's no information and mm-hmm. he was like no i think it's why don't we just leave it so we left it and and it was actually better I think that there was no information because it was a complete pull marketing accident Mm -hmm. and it was this really cool fun and natural way to introduce the film to all of Vancouver but uh, the next day literally I got was getting so many messages from people who knew about people might like friends that who knew me and who knew that I was making this film and they're like hey like all these people that you don't follow like artists in Vancouver are posting this and they with like with the question like who who did this and and so there was one person who tweeted a sports guy um who tweeted like okay like which grizzlies fan did this hmm. and uh, my friend Doug who um he is you know affiliated with the, was affiliated with the grizzlies knew that I had was making this film tagged me in it and so then I I think I just responded with the like the girl raising her her hand emoji yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then from there I think that's where people like shortly after that the province wrote an article about it and then um Vancouver's Austin wrote an article and then the Vancity Buzz uh wrote wrote about it so that's sort of that was the first time. I mean, we had this. We had Finding Big Country up online for months because we were asking for archival footage. We were asking people yeah. to send in messages to Bryant and stories about Bryant. So it's not like this. Like we were, we had always existed, but it was the first time. The posters was the first time that people actually really took notice. Yeah. Um, and then after that. Um, I think everyone just started to get super excited about a film about the Grizzlies and Bryant Reeves. And then finally, when we actually found out that we got into VIF, we dropped the trailer. And then that's when even more buzz happened, even more articles uh, were written. 
then we were actually able to make posters, which was our original idea to like poster the city with these posters that had like the VIF logo, the StoryHive logo. Mm -hmm. And then we hired someone who just went to town and, and just covered the city in these posters. So this film has gone to VIF, uh, Vancouver International Film Festival. How does it work from here? Does it go to other film festivals as well? I know it's yeah. available online. Uh, yeah, so we are um, we're, we are going to Toronto, the Real Asian Film Festival, mm -hmm. in November. We're going to Oklahoma for two screenings. So yeah, so we'll, we'll and then we're just waiting to hear back from other festivals and, and hopefully would, would love to do more screenings and travel with the film. Yeah. This film has, I'm sure, brought back memories for a lot of basketball fans in the city mm -hmm. of Vancouver. Uh, is, is Vancouver a basketball city? Uh, could could there be could there be room for a team again someday? Oh yeah, for sure. And I think that I mean that's one of the main goals of this film is to try to get the converse, conversation going, start a movement to bring a team back here. I mean, we had we've had four sold out screenings um, in Vancouver already uh, of Finding Big Country, and I think that just goes to show the appetite and people are coming in dressed in their Grizzlies gear and jerseys. So I think it just goes to show like there is such Vancouver is a basketball city more now than it, you know, than it was in the, in the late nineties when the team was here. So I think yeah. if a team, you know, I think it's a matter of time. I, I, I do believe that we'll get one or I hope we do. And, and I hope to be, um, you know, someone that helps start that discussion with this film and, and uh, yeah, I think we're Vancouver's ready to, to get another basketball team. You're working on a feature-length documentary about the Grizzlies. You mentioned this already. What what stories do you want to tell about the team? Um, I guess the, so. The next yeah, the next film um, is going to really just highlight or tell the story of or oh sorry, it's going to get to the bottom of what actually happened um, and why why did our team leave? And but it's going to be more than just a, a history lesson, but. Uh, we're going to talk to a lot of a lot of other fans who have their own memories and stories of the Grizzlies, and obviously talking to players and and seeing their perspective and and really sell again. My my hope with this goal, my, my goal with this film is to celebrate the the team and, and show everyone how much they were loved and how great it was when we had a team, even if they were the worst team in the NBA. Hmm. People can watch Finding Big Country now. How how long will that be up for online? Is it is it a permanent thing? Uh, is it a certain fixed time frame that somebody can watch that for now? Yeah. So right right now it'll be online for a while. So um, so yeah. So you can head to storyhive dot com to to watch the film. Has Bryant seen the film yet, or do you think he'll be at one of these Oklahoma screenings? I'm not sure. To be honest with you, um, yeah. I have sent him the link. I'm not sure if he's seen it. Bryant is, and I keep saying this to people, he didn't make this film for himself. Um, mm -hmm. He doesn't, he really doesn't care. And I don't know how he would feel about sitting in a theater watching a movie about himself. Like mm -hmm. I think I, I so I, I honestly wouldn't take it personally if he doesn't come. I think it just makes the fact that he did this with me for four days um, or five days, sorry, even more special. It was like, I'm only going to, I'm only going to talk about this and myself for five days or, yeah. and with you. And, and then, then I'm kind of done. Like, I don't really want to revisit this. So, you know, hopefully, hopefully he's seen it or I, I would love to watch it with him and talk to him about it and see what he thinks. But uh, I'm, I'm not holding my breath either. And, um, and I understand that that's sort of his character and, and that's who he is as a person. And I, and I actually respect and really admire that about him. 
any final words from you, Kat, about uh, about the film, uh, about what it was like to go from being a Grizzlies fan to uh, kind of having your own part of the team now and your own place in, in the team's history? Yeah, that's actually a really uh, cool thing to say, or that what you said. But uh, yeah, like, it's... I keep thinking about my seven-year-old self in the stands, you know, like going to games and never like really wishing that I was on that court or wishing to be a part of that team. And, and, um, you know, I never met the only player that I actually met in person was Antonio Daniels who did like a, a poster signing at an event that I went to. And so he was the only Grizzly that I actually met in person and, and I didn't meet anyone else, which is really cool. But I mean, as a kid, they were just so far away still, even though they were in our backyard, like they were just like heroes that I, that I watched and cheered on from afar. Right, right. And so if you were to tell me as a kid, like I keep going, man, like who would have thought if, if you had gone up to me and been like, Hey cat. And like, you know, in a, you know, over 20 years, you're gonna, you're gonna meet big country and you're going to have the opportunity to get to know him as a person and as a friend mm-hmm. and you'll be talking to him on the phone and you'll actually be invited to you know his ranch in Gans in Oklahoma sorry and also like you'll be able to talk to Stu Jackson on the phone and Arthur Griffiths and Sharif Abdurrahim and Mike Bibby like I would I would be like, that's a lie. You're lying to me, and that's not that's not going to happen. <laughs> um, so yeah, so it's just it's really cool to somewhat be part of the narrative and and the grizzly story, which I think is um, again, it's a, a I even beyond my childhood dreams, I couldn't have I couldn't have dreamed of of what happened. Thanks so much for doing this. I appreciate uh, you taking the time. No worries, Martin. Thanks so much. That's it for the show. Thanks for listening, and I hope you liked it. If you want to know more, Finding Big Country is available online for free right now. Check it out. I would definitely recommend it. If you enjoy the show, you can do me a favor, hit subscribe, leave a rating and a review, and most of all, tell someone else you think might like it. This episode of Story Untold is produced by Emma Terrell. Theme music for the show is by Dr. Turtle off the album You Um, I'll Ah. Once again, I'm Martin Bauman, and this was A Story Untold. See you next time.